I am Justin Pugsley, Editor of Global Risk Regulator, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast series on financial regulation. For more about GRR, please visit www.globalriskregulator.com. In this discussion, we are going to look at how environmental, social and governance, or ESG, may come to influence prudential regulation particularly the Basel Framework and the Capital Requirements Regulation and Directive, or CRR and CRD in Europe. Among the topics we are exploring this episode is whether measures such as green supporting or brand penalising factors are a good way to influence banks towards ESG-friendly lending policies, how stress tests can incorporate ESG factors, which are difficult to measure, through to how bank risk models can cope with these issues. To delve further into these topics, I am delighted to welcome Ingalil Asfold, Head of Banking Prudential Regulation Markets at Finance Finland, and Jeroen van Dusselier, Head of Global Product and Platform Management, GRC Finance, Risk and Reporting at Walters Kluwer Financial Services Solutions. Okay, Ingalil, let me start with you. Uh, should the CRR, CRD framework contain green supporting factors and brand penalizing factors to nudge banks towards ESG friendly lending policies? And what's your, what's your view on that? You see, sometimes there is an idea of going back to the basic. And um, because we have to remember that the size of the bank, uh, the capital bank uh, buffers is risk-based. Yes. And that means that the higher the risk in the bank's balance sheets are, the higher the bank's capital buffer shall be. And if we are not talking about the, the green supporting factor and introducing it, It means, of course, we are introducing this supporting factor for green lending, and that means that we are lowering these buffers. And if we do that in that way, uh, we will interfere with the risk-based principles. Okay. Because because so far, we can't clearly identify risk that relates to green supporting factors. Drone, what is your take on that? Of course, the principle... uh... You just laid out is completely correct. The, the point there is, is that uh, for me, there are two questions here, uh, actually in, in your question. One question is about, okay, this, is it really needs to part of the framework? And what does that really mean? Does that mean that this impacts capital or does it mean additional disclosures? Okay, if it's about additional disclosure, you could still argue, okay, it's, it's a way for investors to see uh, yeah. what the impact could be. So that, that should be okay. But if it's around capital, I actually would follow uh, the statement that was made with one exception there is for me, the ESG or the environmental part has an indirect effect already because the fact that climate risk or anything like that could have an impact on credit risk, on, on liquidity risk, on market risk, that, that, that is clear. It has impact and that then automatically will flow, in my view, through the capital demand because if it's increasing yeah. risk, it's increasing financial risk, it also will be, as uh, you said, it will have an impact on, uh, on the capital charge. You are completely right uh, that if you can see it in the credit risk and market risk and so on, uh, so far, but uh, are they identical with those uh, traditional market risk and uh, operational risk and reputational risk and so on? I see that it is the climate risk, they are differing or 
I'll be talking about ESG risk. So they are, they are differing from those traditional risks. You know, how, how do you incorporate ESG factors into stress testing? I mean, this is a very big area. It's not just about climate-related risks, which is a, a difficult enough thing to quantify. There's also things like social risks, such as lending, you know, towards unethical activities, for example. Um, how might that, have, how might things like that be incorporated into stress testing? Yeah, it's a very good question, and actually, that that. Uh, a very good segue for from the first question is, of course, if you want to include that, first of all, is how do you quantify it? Uh, because yeah. that, that's the first thing. And it's a discussion that has gone on for, for, for ages. And there are two things that I really want to, to highlight there. For me, you have the direct effect of emerging risks or, or climate. If, for instance, suddenly a tsunami happens. Then, of yeah. course, it's, it's a matter for a financial institution to, to react directly. Uh, basically meaning, okay, the event happens, what should I do? Uh, and there, of course, you could say, ah, I didn't model about it. That's fine. I mean, the point is the event is happening now. You didn't expect it. It's, it's, it's similar to COVID-19. Uh, it yes. happened. And, and some people saying, yeah, but we knew this. Uh, we have data from, from the 1960s when we, when we had things uh, we could have used. Yeah, but the world changed in the meantime. So very difficult, that one. Mm. Right? However, we then come to climate risk as long-term parameters, things that are quantifiable. But there, it's a matter of how do I get then the data there? And there, for me, there's one essential thing, is if we would, as a financial sector, partner with corporates that are doing weather models, that are doing, um, if, if you look at, uh, at energy providers, for instance, uh, electricity or, or things, they have such models already in place. Then Sounds that, like great ideas. Yeah, well, it's when you share that information across industry, then it maybe could have happened. The point is, how do you quantify and how do you transfer that in, in, into parts, into the financial risk part? That is the hard part because no model is, is how can I say it, uh, super fine. And you could look at reinsurance there to help you out because they, they have a lot of experience in that kind of stuff, uh, certainly, certainly around uh, plagues and all that stuff. Very true. Yeah, and, and you also talked about social unrest, right? And about social aspects. And then we're also looking at the demand side of the balance sheet. So when we're talking about the, the risk side and the financial risk and the and, and, uh, environmental aspects of it, we're always looking about the assets and so on. But if we look now at the liability side, um, their social and ethical questions also come up. Eh? Where, as, as a, and, and mostly with retail customers, but some corporates that want, that are part of the green economy, so to speak, are putting more and more, let's say, they are even willing to pay more to have service from a counterpart. They know that is ethical, that is know that is green and so on, because they want to use that in their own business model, which is how do I do funding? How do I, when, when I'm a client, I'm a retail client, eh? And I know a bank has ties with very big uh, polluting companies. A lot of, of people, new people that are coming on the market with their, uh, with their deposits and, and everything and loans, they just say, I don't go for this bank. I go for another bank. So yeah. also on the liability side, these things indirectly via customer behavior has an impact. Yeah. You know, millennials are very, are very conscious of, of, of things like that. The quantification is so difficult. But I see, as the time is running, there are some European national central banks that have already acted on this. Yeah, you can see, for example, UK and France, they have issued their own supervisory statements. That's true, yes. In relation to the climate risks. And 
and for firms to run this scenario analysis on this. So what I see that the, they should now come up uh, together with something okay. so that reflects the best practices and experience so everybody can learn from each other. If we are just going further and further and, and uh, issuing own best practices, it will be a quite confusing situation in the Europe after some while. So I would looking for a best harmonized uh, approaches among supervisors to, to ensure these best practices. And yeah. but I, I agree with Jerome, this is so these risks are so difficult to, to quantify and taking, for example, as you said, the 1960s risk, they maybe not have been as same as they are now because we can see some changing outside. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you know, maybe this is a you know that sort of harmonization that you're referring to maybe this is a job for the uh, you know european banking authority and possibly the ecb um um which I, they, they are already looking at that but um jerome let, let me uh let me come come to you uh, again um so do you think i mean could we see a situation where climate change ends up pushing supervisors to tell banks to increase capital buffers or alter their risk-based assets because certain asset classes, you know, let's imagine real estate, for example, located in certain geographies, become subject to natural disasters and therefore uh, is more risky. I mean, what's your take on that? When you hear regulators talk, eh? I'm not necessarily saying I'm agreeing with that, but when you hear regulators talk, uh, talk they always say, yeah, but regulations we create to actually make sure there is market discipline eh, with yeah. the different banks to actually do what we should do. So in my view, climate risk shouldn't be considered. Yeah, sure. And and depends where you are in the world. But eh, because if you're next to a volcano, obviously, you probably have already calculated that in, eh, certainly when it's an active one. Um, yeah. if, if you're in Jakarta, for instance, eh, there is a reason why the Indonesian government is moving their head capital to, to uh, even another part uh, uh, of, 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 of Indonesia just because they know Jakarta is sinking. That is not a surprise for the minus. It's the long-term uh, the, the, the long effects for this that are important. And, and that you can calculate in, that you can calculate in. But I come back to your original question. Eh? Should that be part of capital buffer? Should that be part of that? For me, yes. you yep. should have that as part as, how can I say it? Indirectly, it should be part of your risk management process to do so. However, okay. there's maybe one small thing here. Eh? Is at some point, green certificates, for instance, or, or, or emission rights, whatever, becomes also an asset. It becomes a financial product. Very true. And that is where probably regulations could say, look, uh, uh, it's a commodity, basically. So, uh, hey. If you look at car manufacturing, for instance, if, if your counterpart is a, is a car manufacturer and it only, only has DSL cars, for instance, in Europe, and I think of the Ferraris of this world, right? Okay. They only produce this kind of engines. Yes. So if the emission works reduced, it's a risk for their business model. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. And because it has an impact on their business model, obviously, you as a bank, you know this credit risk. Of course, they can buy emission rights from, for instance, Tesla that only has electric cars, so they don't have that problem. But they also probably are entitled to certain emission rights. And then you can see, okay, did they cover that, yes or no? But for me, that is part of the overall risk assessment a bank needs to do. So far, we have seen lots of uh, proposals, but uh, yeah, as we can see, 
neither the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision or, or other national regulators have introduced any binding prudential measures so far. Uh, there may be expectation on banks to identify and analyze risks with respect to any product and activity, as Jeremy said. But um, if we be looking at the ex existing prudential standards, uh, they don't uh, clearly address climate risk at all. So we have to go further looking at these, these risks and what impact they have on the capital buffers if we are, um, if we are aiming at them. The only one we can find in pillar, pillar one so far, it says that it uh, doesn't require banks to assess the impact of specific, specific environmental risks on banks' credit and operational risks exposure. The only refers to, to transaction-specific risks. So we have a gap. We still have a gap there. And that's the point, right? I mean... The point at this moment in time, there is a gap, and the question is, will the, the, the financial sector close that gap themselves, or will yeah. they wait until a regulator will do it? And then the second question is, if the regulator needs to do it, will they see that as part of a capital charge? Because in the end, as uh, Ingalil pointed out, eh, capital needs to be there to offset the, the risks that are there eh, uh, further than the expected risk, eh, for the unexpected losses, so to speak. Eh? So. Yeah, at that moment in time, it is like, yeah, then either you push it in capital or you make something like the liquidity reports, uh, Justin. Yeah. Uh, you, you, that, that's just a reporting. Eh? It's just a report, but it's important reporting eh? because the continuity of a, of a, of a bank also or, or corporate actually also refers to that particular risk. Eh? Am, I, am I able to, to, to handle the cash streams as well? So the question is, will be the environmental parts being part of the capital charge as such? Or will this become additional reporting, which will be taken into account? And there, for me, the last thing has not been set yet. Because I think because some of the regulators, they are looking into it, but are not really specialized in that. Because in this case, for instance, Justin, we, are, we can learn a lot from, for instance, South American countries or uh, Southeast Asian countries, which went through a lot more climate disasters uh, in, in the past. Then, for instance, in Western Europe, where we have a stable, I, I'm not going to say we have a stable climate, that would be yeah, lying, but the point is we don't have a lot of shock effects here. Not, not so extreme, yes, indeed. Um, no, I mean, that, that, you, it's a fascinating point, um, you know, whether the market will drive this, uh, maybe through investors or, 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 or maybe regulators will, will come in and bring in rules. Um, I guess we'll have to see how that one pans out looking at adequate data and risk models that you know that seems to be the big missing link in terms of allowing banks to properly assess climate related risks as i think you both inferred to earlier on um so how can this be addressed and in your view will they ever these models ever be as accurate as say credit risk models and if not how how do banks and supervisors address that remaining uncertainty um, through the regulatory regime if indeed that's the best way to go uh, I would say that the awareness of the climate-related risk, risk has increased, uh, but uh, still the calculating these risks are a challenge because yeah. of a deep uncertainty about the nature, as Jeremy pointed out, of the climate change and uh, the limitation of the credit risk models. I mean, uh, deep uncertainty makes um, the use of past data. We don't have it. We are lacking it anyway True. so it's so it's irre irrelevant to build probabilities i would say 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and Drone, what, what do you think about that whole question of risk models, their ability to capture climate risks as, as accurately as, say, credit models, which, you know, have very long data series uh, to go by? Um, and, 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 you know, can this be compensated for in, in some way in the regulatory frameworks? Or should it be well, even? Yeah, that, that is where, so, so I do agree, so agree with Ingalo to say, okay, we maybe don't have the data. And I mean by we, the financial sector. Uh, and that's what I pointed out in the beginning, if you remember. But there are other sectors that, that have much more data on this and much more experience in this for because it's really related to their existence, eh, their yeah. continuity. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. for me, it's, that is for me then the solution of we could base it on there. From a regulatory perspective, I must be very honest with you. I'm, I, to make some standardized approach for climate risk will be very hard because everyone is just in a different situation. If you're in Greenland and you're seeing your uh, uh, ice caps melting, it will be having a different effect than in, uh, uh, than in uh, Japan having the risk for a tsunami or in Sicilia when uh, the, the next volcano erupts. It's, it's a different kind of risk. And also it is the, the manifest. I always say, to, to, to people that are just joining risk management, eh? um, you have a PD side and you have an LGD side. What I mean by that is some climate risk-related effects have maybe a high probability, but they have a very low loss-given default, so to speak, eh? when, when something sure. like this yeah. happens. But then you have tsunamis, volcanoes, all the things that I said. They, they, the loss-given default is very high, but the probability is probably lower. And that is where the, the difficulty starts in, in what do you find as an organization worthwhile to take in and what not. Because if you talk about emerging risk where climate risk and, and, and social unrest and governance uh, around these things are part of eh, in a wider context, what do you take along and what not? And yeah. that is for me where regulators struggling with this. Uh, where do we start? Eh? And and. If you're a global regulator, think about it. If you're in Brazil, you probably are most, much more interested in the temperature and, and how much the deforestation is going on than when you, for instance, in, uh, yeah, I mean, in, in Greenland or even in Russia, eh, where they're probably struggling with all kinds of other things except the temperature. And, and yeah. then the positive temperature, I mean, uh, <laughs> because they're, they're already at minus 10. But the, the, the point there being is it's very difficult for a global regulator to take a point of view where to start, but the point is they need to start. And I think yeah. that is where, where the difficulty is. Uh, I think, Ingalil, you pointed that already out, eh, is that they, there is a gap there and uh, it will need to come. Yes, I would also say that the existence of, the, of a negative climate change impact on the economy is widely recognized by adjusting, as Jeremy said, the probability of default and the loss-giving default of various assets to consider climate-related risks. And um, it is still a substantial challenge here, we see. We've got the um, incoming Biden administration, you know, they, they which are prioritizing many aspects of ESG, you know, you think of such as social justice, uh, they want to rejoin the Paris Cl Climate Accords. Um, do you think this is likely to have an impact in terms of incorporating ESG factors into prudential frameworks, such as the Basel Accords? I mean, if we take into account that you know, the, the, the US is a very important actor um, on, on the Basel Committee. I mean, what, what's, uh, what's your thinking on that? The Biden is um, having a positive uh, sign on these uh, ESG factors. And uh, it's nice to see that he will bring uh, this issue to the forefront. 
Yeah. But what we will have to, to remember that is that um, it's a quite uh, relatively uh, new thinking uh, in the US uh, to incorporate climate change. So there, there may be uh, some, some um, difficulties in how to, to incorporate uh, this kind of thinking. Yeah. But uh, as you say, they have put on their agenda. There are lots of things they are going to do about this ESG risk. So they are going to, for example, include stress testing under climate uh, scenarios. And they are explicitly considering climate change in systemic risk regulation. Yes, I but saw they that, are, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yes, you've probably seen that. Uh, but the, uh, the other thing that they are going to do, they are going to linking higher or lower risk weighting of assets for capital purposes to whether associated activities are climate change accelerating. And I think that they need to have some help from the Basel Committee in this, this last one, in this last issues. But as we can see, also the Basel will come out with something in the mid next year. So maybe we can see some proposal that uh, this is coming from USA. No, that would certainly be interesting. I mean, and, and Drone, do, do you think a Biden administration might make it more likely for ESG to have a bigger influence on, you know, the, the, the Basel Accords and national rules in, in, in the coming years? Well, what for me is important is that we segregate the, the political agenda from the prudential agenda as such. Yeah. I want to tell you why that is. Is because, yes, politics can actually drive it. But uh, let's, let's approach this from a pure psychological way. Yeah? Um, there are many problems in the world, yeah? and if you if you look from a from a difference, then you could say, oh, well, this problem is probably a bit more heavier than the other problem." But the point there is, is if it's your problem, it's always the number one priority. If you get my point, yeah. if you're affected by it, you want to have that addressed immediately, yeah? and that's a bit where uh, the difficult. That's why I always say, and I agree with Inga Lowe, that that it probably. Yeah, the Basel Committee or one uh, more neutral body um, will, will, will take, uh, let's say, the forefront to do this. Because if you let politics doing that, then maybe there will be more discussion on, on, on what point to take first, rather than having immediate actions to do so. And stress testing, yes, you're right. Uh, a lot of regulators are going to the direction to at least collect some data around this to see if it's and how much it should have an impact. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And 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 Jerome, just to just to wrap up, I'd like to get your views on these last points. Um, I mean, do you think banks from your conversations and so on, do you think banks are ready for SG? And how should they be preparing for it? And what are some of the practical solutions to help them get there? Well, first of all, eh, I don't think at this moment in time that has been a focus in banks. Eh? And, and it's also not a, how can I say it? It depends which kind of bank you are. If your major clients are in, for instance, uh, in uh, fossil or, or brown economy, you probably are more awake from this. Uh, if you're focusing on that, then, then more universal banks, obviously, because you're, you're, of course, looking at this because if you're specializing in that kind of economies, yes, it does make sense. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, banks have been very busy in the last and in the last decades, implementing other kind of regulations. So maybe they're already collecting data for this, but just like everything else, I think that the problems with banks is to, 
to then qualify or quantify which data is now usable and which data is not usable. Because a lot of these people have captured every kind of data that is possible eh? and, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, not structured it in a way it can be used. Eh? So that, that's the first hurdle they have to jump. And secondly, I think the collaboration on this front will be massive important. I already talked about other industries but also sharing data within the industry will the key will be the key for that. Someone made the remark to me, but Jeroen, banks are already sharing credit information. Yes, but it's commercialized at this moment in time. If this needs to kick off and we really need to have data across the world, because at this moment in time, our clients are also across the world. Every bank cannot do that on their own. And that's why there needs some guidance to collect the data, make the models more robust, but also because of the impact being different for each, each bank, but also the impact being very difficult to quantifiable, they will need people, regulators, to guide them through that. Yeah, yeah, okay. And, and Ingalil, where do you think banks stand um, on, on ESG in terms of readiness? And you know, what, what do you think they should be doing to become ESG aligned? First of all, it should not have been a big surprise, for the, at least for the European banks, because uh, you can see it from the ECB's risk map. Uh, these climate risks have been on the map for many years already. So, so they should know, although this climate risk has not been among the priority, the three highest priority, but they, it has been there. So they should have been aware of it and at least a little bit pre prepared to do something about it. But I, as Jeremy said, they have not been in the focus of them so far. But I think this is a good um, wake-up call for them that now it's happening and they should do something about them. But I think some of the banks have still a, lo a long way to go to mm. catch up everything that they should do. Maybe a last point to add to that. I totally agree with you. And, and the point there is, is that actually there are some things they already can do now, even if the data is not there yet. Uh, you yeah. pointed already out that regulators are looking into stress testing this. And I think one of the things that I, when I asked CROs, hey, what is the one thing, if you would, don't, don't look at budget, but the one thing you really want to improve in your organization, what would it be? And they say a holistic, integrated stress testing framework. And that kind of things is still underutilized or in a lot of banks is not present holistically and integrated. It's present in different categories, but it's not holistically. If you want to address something like climate risk, you will have to have stress testing engines that go across different risk types that can put climate data as one go into and also measure all these impacts that it have on each other. So if you don't have the data yet on climate risk, at least that's the first step into making sure you can deal with that. And to conclude, I'd like to thank Ingalil and Jerome for taking part in Global Risk Regulators Regulatory Podcast Series. And if you'd like to listen to more financial regulatory podcasts, please visit www.globalriskregulator.com. And you can also subscribe to our podcast via Acast, Spotify, and Apple iTunes. And finally, I'd like to wish everyone listening a very happy festive season and a prosperous new year.
Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.